Welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolia's First. To learn more, visit m1bc.org. As you saw on the little video that played, we're in our second week of our new series, Followship, and we're talking about what it means to follow Christ. All of us are following something. The question is, who are you following, and do you know what they expect? If you're following Christ, if you're, if you're in here and you're saying, Jesse, I am a Christ follower, I don't just know about Jesus, but I stepped over a line of faith, and I am now walking in the same path that Christ walked in, then you are calling yourself a follower of Christ. And as a result, if you're following somebody, you should look like them. You should know what they want you to do. The number one question people ask me, the number one question when somebody says, hey, I want to talk, is how do I know this is God's will? Right? That's what you the number one question is, how do I know this is God's will? And now we can dig into that a little deeper. We have to be careful with that question. But a lot of times when we ask that question, we're saying, how can I do this and receive the least amount of pain? How can I do this and make sure that I'm not messing up? How can I do this and make sure that I know what I'm supposed to do? Well, in the Bible, there's a verse. And the verse says that God's word is alive and it's powerful. It's very powerful, in fact. It's actually sharper than a two-sided sword. And it's able to cut through soul and spirit, which is a miracle. But it's also able to cut through bone and marrow, which means it's able to take what you really mean and tell you what you should mean. It's able to take your church words, your church talk, and turn it down to what you really mean. And what it's saying is it has a way to help you be honest with yourself. See, a lot of times we're asking questions, but we really need to say, how can I be honest with myself? What do I really want to happen here? And what we'll find is it's a process like that last song. It said that to, to endure what life is throwing at you, what Peter said, as we, we continue in Second Peter today, we learned that in the first part of Second Peter chapter 1, he said, hey, be careful because what you're being called to do as a follower of Christ is difficult and challenging, but what it also makes us do is say, how do we know we're doing the right thing? Peter gives us some insight into that, and I think it's very, very practical. What we know to be true is that God's word is never in contradiction to what you feel you're being told. So if you feel you're being told something and it's in contradiction to what God says in the Bible, then it's wrong. You're wrong. You're misinterpreting. I knew a guy. He wore really short jean shorts and no shirt at our job. We worked in a hot plastic fabrication company. He was a believer. We, we made uh, things like the front of the uh, paper towel dispenser. We made the fronts of those at this shop. I didn't actually do anything. I just swept the floor. But I was there, and we were co-workers technically, and he wore cut-off jean shorts and no, no shirt ever, and he wore black shoes. I think there's a lot of things wrong with that outfit, but I think the worst part was the black shoes and the Velcro. But he came to me, and he knew that I was a believer, and he said to me, Jesse, God told me something. You know, what did he say? He doesn't want me to give him anything. And I was a little, I was a young kid, super young. 
uh, super dumb, very young in my faith. And I'm like, I don't think that's right. God would never, and I said this to him, God, why would God write down that we should give him our first fruits in the Bible? And yet he told you, you didn't have to do that. And he said, I don't know, but that's what he said. And we have to be careful not to get like James, the, the person that I'm referring to in the story, because sometimes when we get words, we're willing to, to not be honest with what God is saying in the scripture. The scripture has to be our baseline. And it brings us to our big idea, which is this. God's word is always the next step. Whatever you're thinking, whatever has happened, whatever catastrophe has come into your life, whatever good has come into your life, whatever decision you're dealing with, God's word, the Bible is the next step. It always is. It's never not. And you might be saying, well, Jesse, shouldn't it be the first step? Yes, but when you get an idea, the next move, when you have a decision, when life is good and when life is bad, God's word is the next step. That's how you're able to be prepared for what Peter talks about in the first part, to hold on to God's, Jesus' precious promises. The Bible says in Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path, which means you keep me from trouble and show me which way to go. We have options. And the Bible is a way for you and I to differentiate, to discern, and to be wise about which option to take. And it's a light to our feet to help us understand not to trip ourselves up, not to stumble, but to be ready to move to the next thing. God's word is always in preparation for what's coming, what's happened. It's an active thing. It is seldom found of high value. It is value, but it's a preparation or it's a figuring out what's happening situation where we find, and we'll see that as we continue on in the text. Every day, uh, I got a car late in life, uh, really late in life. And, and so I rode, I was too proud to ride the bus, so I would wait however long was needed for my mom to pick me up after her job. Sometimes like the security guy that works there, he'd be like, hey, I'm like, I don't know. She just says, don't ask. There's no cell phones. She definitely didn't have a pager. Um, I just waited in front of the school until she was done working. That was the deal. You don't want to ride the bus? You can wait here till I pick you up. Open-ended. That's it. I know some of you are like, oh, you know what? I survived and I'm okay. All right? Uh, she, she did not. She was never the first in line. Uh, and... And back in those days, apparently, they would just close the school and leave with a kid there. And that's fine, too. Uh, but I, I, every day when she would pick me up, we would ride home. And I was a teenager, and I really was not nice, not polite, not kind. I'm embarrassed about the way I treated my mom when I was a kid. Uh, it's a great day to come clean on this, I guess, now that I'm thinking of it. Uh, Mother's Day, Mom, I'm sorry. I know you're watching because, surprisingly, no matter how bad I treated her, she sent me a text this morning that said, I sure do love you. And I'm like, how is that possible? But every day on the way home from school, she would ask me three questions. Did you drink? Did you do drugs? Or did somebody show you drugs? I apparently, my mom believed that my school was like an episode of 21 Jump Street every single day. I'm like, mom, there's nothing like this is just you go to school. There's no like grown up looking guy with an earring hanging out at the corner just going, hey, bro. What about some, you want some alcohol on the way to lunch? 
Like, no, we just went to lunch. We just, I don't know. I didn't know anybody, right? But every day I would say, no, no, mom, no. She said, well, you know, if that ever happens, all you have to do is say no. Yes, got it. You and Nancy Reagan are really pals. You're really just say no in me all the way home, huh? Well, here's, here's the craziest part. So when I was in high school, I had a friend who was older than me. And one day I'm at his house. We're just supposed to play basketball and have a sleepover. Nothing nefarious was happening there either. And he says, hey, somebody just called. They want us to come over. Wow, that's never happened before. Uh, he's like, they really want us to come. I'm like, well, they don't know I'm there, and I'm only a freshman. He said, no. They specifically said, I said, you're here, and they said, bring him too. Now that's even more pressure. Uh, okay, so we get there, and it's just people sitting around. That's all parties really are anyway, just a bunch of people sitting around houses whose parents aren't home, making moderately poor choices. And so I was there. My friend left. I don't know where he went. I think he made poor choices. I went to the back porch and I sat down and next thing I know I'm in a circle of people participating in an activity that my mom had warned me about. I didn't know. It was an open spot. I sat down. Next thing I know somebody's like, and I'm like, no thank you. And all she had said in my life flashed before my eyes. All that she thought was pointless, worthless, and useless. And all the times it didn't matter. She said it and I'm like, no, it's okay. It doesn't define me. It's not who I am. And I just moved back and they passed it right past me. I said no to this day, saying no. And, and, and I thought as I read this verse and as I'm about to read it to you, sometimes it feels like we're just saying the same stuff over and over and nobody cares and you're the dumbest person who exists. And it, you don't get any smarter until the person's in the spot where they need it. But what if she hadn't said that to me? Because it was apparently a circle full of kids whose mom didn't say that to them all the way home. And I'm like, your mom doesn't ask you the same three questions every day? I didn't say that. But here, as we get into Second Peter, I think... For a mom, for sure, and for any parent, and for any person who's pursuing the truth, if we are not in situations where we're repeating the truth that gets us through life, not, not badgering, not annoying, I'm not saying do what my mom did every day, I'm saying that there has to be a filter we run that's worth it, and Peter was willing to run that filter. It says it here. We're going to start Second Peter chapter 1. We're going to go through a few verses this morning. Chapter 1, verse 12 says this. Therefore, I will always remind you about these things. What my mom said. I'm always going to say it. Even though you already know them and you are standing firm in the truth you've been taught, I'm going to keep saying them. And now, for some of you, you need to start listening to the truth that people are saying to you. That's, that's true. I don't know that. But I'm assuming in a room with this many people, that's true. Second, there are some of us in this room who need to start listening to the truth we already know. There's some of us in this room because the truth of this is worth repeating. Peter's saying, hey, I'll always remind you about these things, even though you roll your eyes. 
even though you say, preach me a new sermon, even though you do this, I want you to know that some things are invaluable to your life. And anytime a guy who's been through the life Peter's been through, you listen. Anybody who's been as low as Peter's been and been redeemed as visually as we've been able to see, when he says, hey, I'm going to keep repeating this because it's a very valuable thing. We listen. And that's what we find ourselves today. Peter says this, it's only right in verse 13 that I should keep on reminding you as long as I live. What? What is this? For our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me that I must leave this earthly life so I will work hard to make sure you always remember these things after I am gone. There's something that 2,000 years of Christ's resurrection has done to us. It's removed the urgency of his coming. I haven't thought about his resurrection, his coming back. I haven't thought about the truth of me facing the reality of being lost. I haven't, I took the salvation, I stepped across the line, I'm trying to be like Christ. But do you know what I don't think about every day? That there are people all around me that need to hear me repeat the truth that I know. There are people that don't understand that just showing up to this building does not make them a follower of Jesus Christ. And as it said earlier in this chapter, that there should be evidence in your life of what you believe and what you follow. And it's not a judgment thing. It's a brokenhearted thing that this comes from. And Peter's saying, hey, you could say what you want. You can roll your eyes. You could huff. You could say it. Same sermon again. But what? I'm going to do is say it until you do it because until you do it, you won't care. There's something we need to know. And my life is short. Peter thought he was going to die and he eventually would very soon after writing this letter to these people. He would soon die a horrific crucifixion uh, just like Jesus except historically they say he was hung upside down. His request But there was an urgency to Peter's life that didn't revolve around Peter. And he found clarity in that through God's word, through the Bible. And we're going to find that out. Last week, I said that preaching was my least effective ministry tool. And it, by the numbers, is. But it doesn't mean that me standing up here isn't valuable, isn't necessary, and isn't good. But my communication with people face-to-face, sitting down and talking with them is a far more valuable and higher impact if you wanted to run the numbers. But I'm going to keep standing up here, and as long as this earth exists, some form or fashion, a person will be standing here preaching a sermon to you based on these words because it matters. And you're here today for something and for some reason. And it's probably to feel better, and I want you to know fantastic. But there's a deeper, greater call and potential for you than just to come here and either feel worse or feel better. The cello was here to make us feel great and then sad at the same time. How can a cello do that, right? It's like every song, Jesus loves me. I would have been crying during. But we don't have to show up at this building and leave feeling bad, but we can leave feeling good or whatever you came, but we could also leave here with a greater purpose and it doesn't come through some motivation. It comes through a belief in what this says and that's what Peter's getting to. He says this, verse 16, there's a backstory here. 
He's like, hey, we, we weren't making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes. We received honor and glory from God the Father. The voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. We ourselves heard that voice from heaven when we were with him on that holy mountain. Weird, but listen, this happened. And it gets us to where we really need to go in the way that the, the, what the Bible says and what we do in our life matters. Matthew has the account of this story that Peter's referring to. Mark and Luke also have it, have it, but Mark and Luke are both in chapter 9 is where you'd find this. But Matthew has it in a great way, and we're going to read it so you understand what Peter's talking about in 2 Peter. Here we go. Six days later, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and led them up high to be alone on a mountain. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. Peter exclaimed, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. He just wants to be included. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. This is a big moment. But even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is what Peter's referring to, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Just a minute ago, my, one of my dearly loved sons brought this podium up here. And it somehow, because as parents do, it brought me great joy. And, and you can imagine as a parent the way it feels when your kids do anything good. And imagine the picture that God has, this expression of himself in earthly form, Jesus who's full submission to him, God is here in what he says, all that he could say. He says, the most important thing I could tell you is that this is my son and he brings me great joy. Listen to him. The disciples were terrified and fell face down on the ground. Anyone want to take a stab at your response? So your buddy, guy you're pretty sure is something, but you're not exactly sure what. Hey, do you want to go camping? Sure. This, we've seen this movie. Right? I mean, this movie, it's bad. But he takes them up the mountain. They go camping. And he's like, hey, just a second. And then, this doesn't say any explanation. It doesn't say that he said, hey, guys, what's about to happen is going to freak you out. This is going to change. Clouds, there's a whole thing that's going to happen. Just hold tight. You're going to be fine. There's no way to explain that. So it just happens. And of course, I would have responded the same way. Actually, I would have said, and he ran as fast as he could, which is slow, for about 10 yards. And then he walked in a hurried pace to get away from this. That's what I would have done. But Jesus came over as they're face down, cowering in a pile, saying, take me now, take me now. Get up, don't be afraid. And when they looked up, it was all over. 
Okay. So Peter had been reading the Old Testament his whole life. Peter was Jewish. He was at trying very much to be a disciple, but nobody at Peter, we know that nobody picked Peter up because what they do is they would take a kid who showed promise and move him under a rabbi. And so these people would find various levels of education based on their potential. And we know based on the fact that Peter was fishing, nobody picked him up. Nobody saw the potential except for Jesus. But a part of that training was to immerse yourself in the Old Testament scriptures. The writings of the prophets, the law. Peter was well-versed. Elijah was a hero in the Jewish faith. Is Moses integral in his understanding of who God was? And now he is with somebody he's pretty sure is right. And now he turns into some angelic creature. And now those other guys are there. And they never said, I'm Elijah. I don't think they had name tags on. Something impressed upon them that these men were who they were. Do you think that the scriptures had a whole different look now that he knew for sure, for sure, that those people were who they said they were? Yes, he says it here. It says, because of that experience, this is 19, because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. You must pay a close attention to what they wrote, for their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns in Christ, the morning star shines in your heart. Peter was living his life following Christ the best he could. We know from Peter's life, he didn't do it well. He didn't do it right all the time. He, even in this story, which we don't have time to talk about, he even says goofy things. He tries to insert himself in ways that aren't okay. But Peter said that experience, that just being actively following Christ, put him in a position where the scriptures meant more than they did before. And for you and me, it's the same way. What position are we putting ourselves in where we have an opportunity to see Christ shine in our lives? They put themselves. He said, you want to follow me up this mountain? They said, yes, we will follow you. And they went up the mountain. And as a result of that trek, they found Christ to be who he said he was because of what happened there. Where are you following Christ in your life? Where are you trekking with him where you have the opportunity to see the word of God come true? Where are you going? Where are you finding your... Peter said, hey, I went there and as a result, guess what? I believe this to be even more true than it was. And the question is for you. Where are you going today, tomorrow, that will take you to a place where you could see the truth of God come more real? Some of us are working so hard to prove we can do it. That when we're invited up the mountain, we're invited on the challenge, we're invited to this place where people can be affected, the truth of Scripture can shine through, we shy away. We don't go. We're too busy. We're too ashamed. What would it look like? What would happen if I went there? 
this word is like a lamp shining in a dark place because we are going to dark places. Some of you are living in dark places. Dark places nobody even knows about. And there's no answer for that darkness except for the light. The Bible says in Psalm, we looked at it earlier. Your word is a light unto my feet and a lamp for my path. It guides us and it directs us on these dark journeys. But where are we going with the truth of God? Where position are we getting in where we see the interaction between the darkness and the light? Where are we seeing this come true? That's where it's powerful. That's where it's impactful. And we do that until the day dawns and the Christ, the morning star, returns. And then there's so much light because of his return. We don't need. We're just worshiping, saying, yeah, look there. But that day, everybody already is going to know. Today, people aren't sure. And it's our job, those who call ourselves followers of Christ are in the right spot. Above all, verse 20, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. There is no clearer spot in all of the Bible that says how the Scriptures were written. These people were not just going, man, I got an idea. No, God sent his Holy Spirit to use their personality, their talents, gifts, and abilities to write a narrative that would be timeless for thousands of years. There are books that I try to read because I really sometimes just want to be smart that are so written in such a way that they're They're so nuanced in their current culture that I can't understand them. People are like, oh, it's beautiful. And I'm like, Holy, what did that say? He went to the store. The store? But the Bible has no issues with that. We don't run into culture things very often where we can't understand the greater picture. It was inspired for us to live, not to just learn from. So, next steps. The importance of the role cannot be overstated. Submit your life to the Bible, to the truth of the Bible. Submit your life to the truth of the Bible. That's, that means we will put ourselves under it. We will use it as the next step to every issue, to every situation, good or bad. But we will also put ourselves under it in a position to learn. Guys, I wish there was a better way to say this, but there's no other way than opening it up and reading it. Is there great ways to do it? Absolutely. There's an app that some of you, I hope, are looking on right now and not other things to follow along this sermon. And in that, guess what? There's a, there's a way to find Bible readings based on whatever you feel you're going through. There's, you could put in there, get smarter in the Bible. You could do it. But it has to be cracked open. There is no other way to it. There is no other way to find the truth, to put ourselves in a position to use it as the next step if we don't know what it is. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is inspired by God, is useful to teach what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. It corrects us when we're wrong. It is the next step. And it shows us to do what's right. It 
It is the next step. And if we don't submit ourselves to it, to its teachings, to its understandings, then we won't be ready. And the second thing is this. When you don't know what to do, go to the Bible. And I wished it would have said first. That's the answer. God speaks those numerous ways. You can encounter God in numerous ways. The, the burning bush. Moses encountered God through a burning bush. There were circumstances in his life which led him there. There were people in his life that gave him advice. There were times that he encountered God and he heard from God. But there were times he clung to the truth of what was said. We must do the same. And when we don't know, when we don't know what to do, we go to the Bible. Here's what it says, James 1, 5 through 8. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. It's okay to say you don't know. I don't know what to do. I've got a question. God, would you guide me through this? There are people in this room, I'm making assumptions, that have no idea what to do about the next step in their life. And, and you know what? If you were to ask me, I'd say, and I was in a car this week, and I said, man, I'll be honest. When you take every factor, I don't have an answer for that problem. But there is an answer in the Bible. And we can find it. We're going to work at it. There's nothing wrong with asking, but when you ask him, be sure it says that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver for a person with divided, do not waver for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave in the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Listen, there's a way of asking. I, if you're married, you know about this. It's a very new thing. Moms, you're, you could write a book, many of you. It's called the questionization right? It's a statement in the form of a question. You, you don't have an option here. The only option is yes, but you think new guys, newly married, there's some newly married. It's a, it's a ploy. So what they're saying is, for example, do you want to help with the baby? No, I do not. No, that was a statement about help with the baby. Do you want to mow the grass this weekend? No, no, I do not. Again, that was a statement, not a question. Sometimes we ask questions and we already know the outcome we want. Hey, man, what do you think about this? Hey, what do you think God would say about this? Hey, man, what do you think about this? What do you want to do about this? We, we have an answer. We're coming to God and saying, will you rubber stamp my problem? Will you okay the issue I'm having? Will you, will you justify my feelings? He isn't in that business. He isn't in the, oh, how are you, oh, buddy. He isn't in the ego-stroking business. He's in the, this is the truth. And the best thing I could do is tell you the truth. And it's in here. And what it's saying here is if you come to him for wisdom, but really you just want some kind of rubber stamp, you're going the wrong way. We should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. You're not going to receive any clarity because you're not even being honest with yourself. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. Guys, the next step is always, it's always the Bible. It's always. And when we do that, we're prepared because that takes us to an intersection of our life and the truth. And at those intersections is where we see God do something amazing. It's where we go, man, we used to think about this, but now we know that's true. 
And the most powerful thing you have is the story of the truth of what Jesus did in your life. The truth of what Jesus did is what people are interested in. It's all just conjecture and theory and hyperbole until you say, man, I thought this, but then I went here and I saw the truth of God show truer than I've ever seen it because when I thought there was no hope, he gave me wisdom. So Peter writes to us, he guides us, and he instructs us to say, hold tight to the word of God. It's always the next step. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for those in this room who call themselves mothers and who have given so much. And we pray they'd feel honored today. But more than that, we pray that we would live in such a way that we take the truth of who you are and we cross it with the action of our life and really see where your truth is proven and is powerful and is impactful. Thank you for the testament of baptism today and the way that showed the truth of who you are. Thank you for countless other situations in this room. And I pray that you'd give courage and wisdom that we might take those stories of what you've done and the way it's intersected with the truth of your word and change the lives of the people that we know and love and come in contact with and that we would know that your word is always the next step. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.